This week, our executive producer, Adam Gobeski, wanted us to watch Alien Resurrection from 1997, starring Sigourney Weaver as a uh, reborn alien-human hybrid something or other. But because we take powerful female roles in film, in cinema, seriously, instead, we're going to be discussing the 1940 classic, His Girl Friday. everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Cinematic Respect. I'm your first co-host, Jessica Clares. And I'm your second co-host, Charlie Wallace. Yes, I'm very excited about this week. It is one of my favorite movies. We're talking about the 1940 classic, His Girl Friday, starring Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell, as well as Ralph Bellamy. Um, so yeah, just getting into this story a little bit, the screwball comedy, everything, all the action happening very quickly, one thing on top of another. And uh, so you, you open up and you find out very quickly that Rosalind Russell's character uh, used to be married to Cary Grant's character. Character. So a little bit of a scandal, a little twist there that uh, they're divorced in 1940 and everybody's fine talking about it. And you get the impression right away that she was a very um, respected reporter and member of the newsroom as well as as Cary Grant. But she wants to be all done with that. She uh, wants to be a lady. She wants to be treated like a woman. Uh, and so she's coming to inform Cary Grant, who's uh, Walter. She's call- coming to inform Walter that she is going to be marrying Bruce, who is played by Ralph Bellamy, a very, very young baby-faced <laughs> <laughs> Ralph Bellamy. Um, and so uh, it's also very clear right away that Cary Grant's character, um, Walter, that he's not the one who wanted the divorce, that he is still in love with her and still wants wants to be with her, um, but that... Uh, you know, he's he's unwilling to walk away from kind of the crazy, hectic world of, of being a reporter, of being in the news business. And he just knows, of course, he just knows better that that's what she wants, too. And so the whole movie is just crazy, goofy hijinks of him trying to rope her back into the newsroom. And they're, of course, also back in love with him. Um, and so, yeah, it's just kind of a, a crazy, crazy, goofy thing. What's kind of funny, though, is that while you have this, like, goofy funny screwy you know comedy story happening is that the story that he uses like the news story they actually uses to pull her back in is actually pretty dark and sordid yeah. <laughs> and, and uh is actually about you know some poor down on his luck guy who you know gets fired from his job after 14 years um you know keeping in mind this is on the heels of the of the great depression um he gets uh, fired from his job and ends up shooting a police officer and he's going to get he's going to get executed he's going to get uh hanged and um so yeah Unless, unless she writes writes this amazing story that's going to supposedly prove that he's innocent <laughs> or whatever. So yeah, it's it's a rather it's a rather dark tale, and we'll obviously get into all of that. <laughs> uh, so no further delay. I'd like to introduce our special guest today. That is Charlie Wallace. It's me. No! <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we haven't had to uh, resort to having me be the guest yet but i'm excited that i like how you say happened. resort like it's terrible you make such a terrible <laughs> guest charlie well i don't like i like asking the questions i don't like being asked i questions. think you can ask the questions if it would just be nice and creepy for you to do it in third person <laughs> <laughs> so charlie okay so so charlie um tell me so you thoughts. haven't seen this movie before correct <laughs> <laughs> uh what were your what were your first impressions what, what did you yes, think what did you movie? think this movie is gonna be out charlie <laughs> Uh, so, so I'd seen other screwball comedies, like I'd seen Bringing Up Baby, I'd seen The Philadelphia Story, but these were probably a couple of decades ago. So it's been a while since I've really sat down and watched, sat down and watched anything mm-hmm. like this. I 
So I really didn't know what to expect at all. I knew the sort of general overtones these movies have. And Mm -hmm. like, so you've got a screwball comedy. It's got fast, witty banter. And it's got people who are fighting, but eventually are going to fall in love with each other. And there's lots of weird, like you said, hijinks or um, misunderstandings. It's always misunderstandings and just things overheard or misinterpreted, like that kind of a thing that it always causes the plot twist in general. So it's like kind of like Ross and Rachel on Friends is what (laughs) I like to think about, right? It's just yes. like that. Yes, that classic screwball comedy friends. Well, actually, there's a lot of similarities <laughs> between the like screwball comedies and sitcoms as they've, they they've actually come about in the you know, the decades yes. since. Especially the mis- the constant misunderstandings and, you know, the plot coming together, tying together perfectly at the end. Yep. I, I'm a big fan. I All those movies you listed, um, Bringing Up Baby and Philadelphia Story, those are some of my favorite favorite films as well. And I think the rapid fire dialogue, just that, just it just blazes a trail. And so if you're really not paying attention, there are a lot of jokes, little jokes. And I think it was a way for the um, writers, directors, I'm not exactly sure whose decision it would be, but to kind of sneak things in that maybe wouldn't have been allowed if emphasis was placed on oh, it. Absolutely. But just by like slipping them in amongst all these little comments, you can get away with some, some pretty decent little digs and some yeah. little like little wink statements i don't know it's hard to catch all of that oh so yeah one thing you had told me to do was that ahead of time you're like well if you're gonna watch this movie make sure you put the subtitles on yeah so that you can catch everything and i did not end up doing that you didn't well <laughs> so here's what i decided i was like well like i remembered you'd said that but i'm gonna not do that until the oh, point where i feel that it. i have to do it okay and so things kept flying by my head. I think that mm-hmm. was the problem. It's not that I didn't understand what they were saying. It's that I didn't have time to process it. And at least for me, I don't feel like I could have been read- reading. Like, I can process words that fast, but I'm not sure I could have read that fast. Okay, fair enough. Especially the times there were there were multiple scenes where people were talking over each other, which is something that the director said was he was specifically trying to do. Oh, sure. You know, make a more sort of natural sounding conversations by having people like- layered yeah layering yeah. over each other mm-hmm. but that kind of made it difficult to follow and well, definitely parts. now the subtitles well for me as a combination of things for this particular film it depends on the age of the movie you're watching but given you know 1940s the sound quality is a little a little mm-hmm. rougher a little muddier and so um that with the layered conversations the the subtitles made it easier for me but i can totally see what you're saying i've also seen it before right and so i think that helped like i've seen it at least three times without subtitles and so then seeing it with i'm like oh that was that joke i missed yeah i need to next time i watch it i'm definitely going to put on the subtitles so i can catch some of those other things just little throwaway lines that are that are fun there was one thing i would say that kind of disappointed me a little bit about the movie was just that it was actually coming at me so fast that at certain points i wasn't paying attention to it or like i kind of zoned out so First off, I want to say I really actually really enjoyed this movie. Yay! (laughs) So I'm starting off with my complaints, you know. It's sort of like a compliment sandwich. So let's start with I really, really like this movie. Sure. But because of how rapid fire everything was, I had trouble paying attention or catching a lot of what was going on. But they still did a good job from a directorial stance and from a screenplay stance. of I I knew what was going on or I knew Mm -hmm. generally everything Mm -hmm. that was happening. But... It's like a 90-minute movie, right? Yeah. It's not especially long. And it's a comedy. It's it's a comedy, and all Mm -hmm. these things are coming at you very fast, but it's all for the sake of humor. 
Mm -hmm. So it doesn't usually matter if you're missing a couple of things. So that's why I still enjoyed it as a whole. Um, I liked liked the layering. I liked that um, it's oddly, you know, the the, the character of of Hildy, whatever. She's a very strong female character for the time. Um, It throws a lot of politics in there. You get a lot in there. They don't specifically say you're coming in at the tail end of the Great Depression, but they definitely hint at the European War. Because at this point, right. it's pre-American yep. uh, involvement. It's pre-Pearl Harbor. And so they talk about the European war. Oh, drop that from the front page. We don't need to talk about that. Let's put this story in there. You know, kind of thing. <laughs> they have that They have that kind of throwaway joke in there. Um, there's references to Stalin. There's references to kind of a red menace or uh, a red rebellion. Um, so there's a there's a decent amount. There's there's graft. You've got, you know, corruption of politicians and, and elections. And you still have execution by hanging going. I mean, there's, oh, there's right. like yeah. all kinds of stuff going on in there that's a, a you know quite a bit of a nod to the the time you right. know that gives you a pretty right. good feel of of kind of what's what's all going on i so I, I felt like it was it brings in a lot of really big ideas and you know some pretty dense dense politics and and it does topics yeah while also being very light <laughs> right so the surface layer is this very light screwball comedy but mm-hmm. underneath it all it's it's pretty dark especially the story that they're investigating about mm-hmm. this guy who murdered the cop i don't know i will we'll get into that a little we'll bit get into later that more. yeah you want to talk about the big characters first? Oh, excuse yes, me, uh, guest Charlie. Would you like to talk <laughs> about some of the characters for a moment? <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. So, um, just kind of first impressions. Like, I personally, I thought that it, I really liked kind of the strong female character, but I don't. That may not may not be everybody's perspective. Like, what was kind of your take on? I guess the the three lead characters, three four lead characters, depending on kind of how you want to split it up. I thought they had really good chemistry. It was Easy. a good combination of personalities for the characters so that so that Hildy and Walter could have their banter back and forth. And every once in a while, Bruce would come in and try to interrupt, but he couldn't get a word in edgewise. Mm-hmm. And he kept getting... Uh, so there's this uh, recurring joke where Cary Grant gets Bruce arrested. Yes. <laughs> I think three separate three times. Three separate times. Yeah. It's awesome. So uh, every time Bruce shows up, like he leaves the office briefly... And then ends up getting arrested. And then so he's gone for a long time so that uh, <laughs> Walter and Hildy can kind of rekindle yeah, it their is, it is, relationship. It's, a, it's an interesting, you know, way to advance the plot. Right. <laughs> Give the characters time to be together. I also thought, yeah, but I mean, what you're saying about Rosalind Russell's character being she's a reasonably strong force, right? Mm-hmm. And you'd expect a lot of pushback from especially the male characters. The very opening sequence, you get immediately a feel. You come into a bustling newsroom, you know, with the old-timey telephones and everybody's ringing and yelling into phones and it's crazy. But yeah, she she comes in the newsroom and she touches base with the telephone operators and they're like, oh, hey, Hildy. Clearly they're friends. They kind of catch up. They exchange a couple little, you know, throwaway lines about the, you know, those crazy men they work with kind of thing, you know, ha ha ha. But otherwise, from that point on, every male that she encounters, all the male reporters, they all very much respect her. And even the um, some of the police officers and some of those other, you know, positions of power, sheriff and whatnot, even while being a little bit slippery, clearly very much give her a lot of respect. Is that good? Sure looks good from here. Well, Hildy, oh, hey, when did you get back? Hi, Ernie. Hi, Hildy. Glad to see you. Glad to see you, man. Hey, where'd you get the hat? Yeah, I paid 12 bucks for, for that, back huh? to work? <laughs> uh, it's just a farewell appearance. I'm going into business for myself. You're what doing? I'm getting married tomorrow. Why? Well, again? Are we invited to the wedding? Well, I might use you for a bridesmaid, Roy. Uh-oh. <laughs> how are you, Murphy? Hildy. What are you getting married for, Hildy? None of your business. You ain't fooling us, are you, Hildy? 
<laughs> I just loved even just like the cadence of the whole thing. Yeah, I, and yeah. that's one of the things Great I actually delivery. like about screwball comedies is I feel like the delivery is really important. Yes, that it's fast paced, but it's not just fast paced. There's actually tones and things like that that are always used. There's a cadence to it, and there's even like you know tones of female voice that are often what's the word I'm looking for like mimicked or whatever, and oh, immediately yeah. you know what era that's supposed to be mm-hmm. from. And Cary Grant does that a little bit, too. I think I'll have a clip maybe we'll play later where Mm -hmm. um, he starts to get his old-timey reporter voice going Mm -hmm. on as he's talking over the phone, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting to hear from Cary Grant. The movie I always think about when I think about him is North by Northwest, Mm -hmm. where, I mean, he's got humorous, he's got humorous lines and humorous delivery, but I don't think it's anything quite like that. I'm a really big Cary Grant fan. Um, watched a lot of older movies. Um, there was a, I don't know, a summer in particular where, because um, I'm super cool, um, I hung out with my mom a lot this one summer and we watched a lot of old movies that we rented from the library. But um, so I saw a whole bunch of, of older movies at that time period, which is when I would have seen this and Bringing a Baby and Philadelphia Story, but also um, Charade, which is uh, Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn and just some of these other things. And he he's good at being... Being casually suave and funny. Yes. And yes. In, in pulling that off in this very kind of graceful way. I mean, it's Cary Grant, right? I mean, whatever. You set the bar. I know. He's great. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of what else that I had. I saw Arsenic and Old Bass. Oh, that. yeah. That's yeah. such a good movie. I don't think oh. we have that one on our list. I think we should. we should put that on the list. That's an excellent movie. You got Peter Lorre. Oh, yeah. yeah. I forgot Peter Lorre was in that. <laughs> We're dorks. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, the movie we were talking about. Yeah, back to the movie <laughs> we were talking about. So, um, yeah, so the voice that you're talking about, that Cary Grant, you know, uses that kind of reportery voice. I don't know. I feel like that it's not entirely different from a conversation we had a few weeks ago about The Godfather. And we were talking about how everything you know about, um, like, what the mob is and what all these things for all the movies that followed it, you just take those things for granted. You know that they have, you know, senators in their pockets and things like that. I feel like it's similar with movies like this in setting up the um, the quintessential, like, what's a newsroom and what was it like in this era and having, you know, um, informants and having, you know, cops or whoever will give you the lowdown and all these things and just kind of that that fast-paced, busy world. We it's, it's a cliche. We know what that is now. Right. But I think movies like this, I'm not saying this was a first, Mm-hmm. But it perpetuated it. Right. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of a touchstone in mm-hmm. uh, all of these sorts of archetypes of characters. Like, mm-hmm. oh, here's the here's the thug, right? Yeah. Like, for some reason, Cary Grant is able to tell this thug to go and do whatever he wants. <laughs> sure, no problem. <laughs> and of course, he has some girl on you know on his payroll too. Yep, he can have yep. do whatever, and he has um he has very very loyal reporters like people who are higher up that aren't just kind of your average reporters but are clearly i don't know if they're heads of sections of the newspaper right. or, you know like mm-hmm. the head of metro or the head of yep. whatever he kind of gets actually at any point uh i don't know that he actually ever you know gets anything pulled over on him really oh yeah he's never uh except hildy to some well, extent and only in that she is able to predict the things yes. that he's going to do yes so she, she, she skirts him but i don't know that he ever gets stuck with anything no that's you true know what i'm saying yeah. like she just avoids his his things like she's clearly very street smart she's been around she's been a reporter she knows the guy she knows how it works she knows how he works yes and knows even the people that he uses she knows his thug and even the the girl i i we don't know for sure i guess that she's a prostitute but it's pretty heavily implied she's a prostitute (laughs) um but she's like is she blonde 
very, very blonde. Yeah, I know what happened. Like she immediately <laughs> knows. And it's just so I clearly he he has like regular people that he right. like depends on. Uh this might be a good time to segue into so I kinda went down a rabbit hole. So part of the history of Hollywood that I'd heard about but I hadn't read a lot about, which had an influence on this movie, but probably a lot of other movies we're gonna watch was the production code, also called the Hayes Code, which is that starting in the nineteen twenties, just because the movie industry wasn't really regulated in the way, in the sense of um, what was allowed and not allowed to be on screen. Well, and this predates ratings, right? Right. Oh, yes. Yeah. This is way before ratings. Way before it. So censor boards started to show up in individual states saying what movies could play and what movies couldn't play. So in an attempt to kind of undermine that, the Hollywood developed a production code, which is basically these are the things that you're not allowed to have in movies. Or here are the things that you're... If you have them in movies, you have to be careful about the way in which you present them. So sure. up until the 1930s, it wasn't, it was basically dead almost, right? Nobody listened to it until... Um, uh, MPPDA. Oh, okay. The Motion Picture Producers and Distributors of America. But they decided that in order to enforce it, for a movie to get distribution, it had to get a certificate from them saying that it followed all of these codes codes right sure all these do's and be carefuls as they call them and <laughs> involve things like you can't say certain pointed profanity especially like taking the lord's name in vain drug trafficking sexual perversion relationships between uh people of different races oh, was not okay no no yep so one of the things it says in here is actual hangings or electrocutions as legal punishment for crime that was <laughs> or wasn't funny. allowed that's that's a uh I think a be careful. Got it. Right. So you can put that in, but there's certain things you also have to keep in mind when you do that. Like perhaps the crime has to be appropriate or it can't go through or something like that. Or there's also things about you can show like a cop, like a crooked cop, but you can't show necessarily an entire department that's crooked, right? They have to be the exception. Yes. You don't want people to question institutions, Charlie. Right. <laughs> Which actually brings me back to to the very beginning of the movie. So at the very beginning of the movie, there is a screen that has text on it to try to describe the era that the story is set in. <laughs> and it actually says, it all happened in the dark ages of the newspaper game, where to a reporter getting that story justified anything short of murder. Incidentally, you will see in this picture no resemblance to the men and women of the press today. Ready? So... The idea there was that that was to get around the production code because they weren't allowed to say anything particularly bad about the press. Sure. So they had to say that it was a different time period. But what I loved about it was that it was super sarcastic. Yes. Right? Yeah. So they get around it by saying exactly what they're supposed to say. But you know that that's not what they mean at all. Yeah. No resemblance. I I like even just the ready. Ready? Right. I mean, it's kind of silly. It's like, okay, now that we got that over with, (laughs) are you ready to actually watch the movie? So there's a lot of ignoring the production code, right? Even though this was after, I think, they required a certificate. But there's these little ways to get around what you're not supposed to do or not supposed to say. And I thought that was kind of a clever 
clever yeah. version of that. Well, I mean, like we, we've already talked about it's very fast paced and the jokes are coming really fast and little comments. And so I feel like there were some things hidden in there. And then there's things that they just didn't even bother to hide. I was um, thinking back on it now, you know, when I saw this the first time, I was probably in junior high school. It was probably that, that one summer or whatever. So I didn't think about it. But, you know, just casually talking about divorce and talking about a divorce that a woman wanted uh, right. in yeah. that time period, because typically, you know, only really if a man wanted to get divorced, did it actually happen? You had to be able to like prove infidelity or something like that if you, if a woman wanted to divorce right. from a and man, and yeah, so it was it just wasn't something that happened. Yeah. And in the movie, they're very overt about it. Like, there's yep. no judgment from anybody, really. It's yeah, just everybody's like, chill. oh, these two, they're gonna get back together or whatever. But. <laughs> exactly. So that's no problem. Um, but even just uh, like I said before, there's a girl who's definitely implied to be a prostitute, mm-hmm. and then there's even a moment that uh, near the end of the film, they're talking about, um, they're kind of reminiscing. She, um, sorry, Hildy and Walter are reminiscing. And they're like, wow, it's been a long time since we've been in a scrape, you know, that bad, whatever. And they reminisce about some time that they were in, you know, some kind of a some kind of a jam. And so they had to uh, like hole up in a hotel like hide away for like a week and she's like oh my you know like make some kind of comment like oh and that's how we ended up whatever and like trails off so you get the impression that it was possibly before they were married that they were you know right, hidden yeah. away in this hotel it was a little little scandalous right they were forced to be in the hotel right because yes. of some scrape that they were in so True, it wasn't but it you was know a little, they had designed yeah, that plan. the words they actually say like you said kind of absolve them of, of being there but there's still a little hint and they tr- kind of trail away and so you can be like oh well no we we said we said they had to be, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I felt like they they definitely navigated their way through some of those. They did. Codes they did well. in a very entertaining way. So as we said, kind of from the beginning, um, you know, Hildy wants out of the news business. She wants out of the news business. You can see that they're both married to the job, but there's a part of her that really likes the idea of you know still you know still being a wife and a mother to some extent. Um, she kind of. I don't even know if it's really a complaint so much as just acknowledging that they never went on a honeymoon. Something happened and so they 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 couldn't they could never made it. Yeah, and so she she's decided that, you know, she's done with this life. And so right away from the beginning, I guess both characters just kind of everybody kind of openly acknowledges that her love of the newspaper business is synonymous with her love of him. I mean, everybody kind of is okay with that. There, she's not trying to still be a newspaper woman and be separate from him. Right. She, she wants exactly. to get, she wants to get rid of Yep, exactly. Yep. So, and so you have, um, you know, his, Walter's antithesis in, in the Ralph Bellamy character and, you know, just kind of this uh, small town guy. He lives with his mother still. It's, <laughs> they live in Albany, not in the city. And he has an incredibly boring job. Like, it's not like he's even, like, has a lot of money and he's going to, you know, quote unquote, take care of her, which is another common you know, storyline from this era, but nope, not that either. Like she would be all self-sufficient and can take care of, you know, her own, but no, no, no. She's actually going to downgrade <laughs> to this guy, <laughs> live with him, him and his mother in Albany and have babies. And it just sounds terrible. Um, if the one thing that definitely, um, you know, while she is a very strong female character is they do have her relatively easily manipulated by Walter. Yes. By the Cary Grant character. Yes. You know, he's very easy. He can he can talk her into being excited about, um, you know, oh, wouldn't this just be the story for you? And you could just write that so fast. And wouldn't that just be the greatest? And da, 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 like only you could get this man off, you know, whatever. And so he talks her into that. And then at the end of the movie, too, talking her into into writing the whole story. And, oh, can you imagine how big this is going to be? And, you know, they'll have streets named after you, blah, blah, <laughs> blah. And so he does capture her imagination with, with his little kind of tales he weaves. But as you said before, too, she's also pretty good at figuring out his methods. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, there's a time where 
There's a check that she knows he's going to steal, so she tells Bruce to put it <laughs> inside his hat so that he can't find it. First, so there's a, like you said, there's a series of times that Walter gets Bruce arrested when he realizes that Bruce doesn't have a lot of money and that he's this insurance underwriter. Well, he says, you know, I'll let you write me a $100,000 policy. He'll give him a $2,500 check, which in the 19, you know, 1940, that's well more than the average American makes annually. <laughs> so, and so she agrees to write the story, you know, invest like an hour or something to write this story in order to get that for Bruce. That'll be really good for them. It'll get them a good head start on their lives. Uh, Hildy calls him and says, oh, he gave you the check, did he? <laughs> and he says, yes. And she's like, where do you, where do you have it? Like immediately knows, like this is, this is shady. He just handed it over and it's real and it's a certified check. She actually makes sure, actually come to think of it. She makes sure it's a certified check. And that's right after that's the first time he gets arrested because Walter sends his thug after him um, who pickpockets him and also plants a stolen watch on him. So he gets arrested for having this stolen watch. <laughs> that man has the worst luck. It's just over and over and over. And he's just, I mean, he, obviously that's his, his purpose. Right. right. He's supposed to be just kind of the clueless. <laughs> so I have a clip of the the interaction between or lack of interaction between the three of them. This is a scene <laughs> where they're all talking, but I don't think any of them are talking to each other. Perfect. Talking yeah, to you. I had to wire Albany for $100 so I could get out on bail. No, Look, I don't care if there's a million dead. I don't know what they're going to think up there in Albany. They had yeah. to send the money to the police station. Oh, for Pete's sake, Hildy, come on. We're waiting for that story. Yeah, uh, we'll explain everything to them, Bruce. Well, where's Mother? She said she was coming up here. Uh, she left. No, I can't hear you, Duffy. Where'd she go? Out someplace. Oh, no, junk the Polish corridor. Hildy, tell me where my mother was going. Uh, she couldn't say. Oh, never oh, mind that. Know, this just, is more did important. Did she get the money from you? Oh, uh, no, no. She left what? in a hurry. There's three two to three different conversations if you can even call them that going on that's what kind of made it hard for me to follow but it was still kind of entertaining at the same time although i think that's kind of the point of the scene mm -hmm. right is that definitely this is the last straw for bruce i think this is when oh, he walks yeah out. and it's funny because he's very easygoing and he's just a soft-hearted guy and you know he never smokes and he never <laughs> you know he's just you know he does what his mother tells him and so when you finally in order to get him to be truly fed up i mean it took getting arrested three times having his money stolen having his mother kidnapped i mean it, it took quite a bit to finally break poor bruce <laughs> <laughs> over the course of one day over the course of one day um i also just want to point out this it's a small throwaway thing especially for people watching now i think but um one of my favorite parts in there is that when carrie grant's character does send the the very platinum blonde uh prostitute to you know go get a go get bruce arrested for a second time um he t he's like oh there's a gentleman waiting in a car on whatever intersection like why don't you go down there and she said oh what's he look like and he's like oh he looks like from that guy from uh the the pictures uh what's his name uh ralph bellamy which actually is the actor's name you know it is ralph <laughs> yeah. bellamy yeah, yeah. a very 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 young Ralph Bellamy. And uh, so on the one hand, I mean, Ralph Bellamy, I guess, would have been known. He'd done mm -hmm. several pictures at that point. But I especially love that it's Cary Grant saying it because Cary Grant is obviously one of the most easily recognized <laughs> male film stars, you know, whatever that he's like, oh, you know, what's up? What's his name from the pictures? But there's also another throwaway line that he uses. Something didn't w end up well for this character, right? That he ended up getting stabbed. And he uses the name Archie Leach, which is his real name oh yeah that's yes. right i forgot about that one. Oh, that's great Which, and i forgot to mention this too a couple of episodes ago we did a fish called wanda mm -hmm. and that was the name of um john cleese's character was archie leach oh that's right for this reason because it's oh, his actual name because it's his real so, name like Cary grant i guess like to do that just kind of improvise little throwaway little silly things, things like, like that. that i love that it ended up getting left in 
some of the more memorable lines, actually. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah, no, it's it's just incredibly fast paced and, and you have this just kind of goofy thread running the whole time. But some pretty, pretty serious things take place. Um, again, the 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 person who's on death row, the man who's going to be be um, executed, he is in prison because he killed a police officer after having lost his job, which question for you, guest Charlie. <laughs> Do you, I? don't know that we ever actually get the sense that he really is innocent do no, you he's not okay uh t- that was it could have been a racial thing mm-hmm. because they very specifically mentioned that the police officer he killed was colored yes and that's why they they want to make sure that he gets executed it's because so they don't want to appear like they're soft on right yeah. it's because there's a lot of black people in the district that they need the votes of mm-hmm. so I don't understand why everyone's like, oh, it's okay for this guy to get off, right? If he just comes up with a good excuse, which he does at the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. So the question is, is there racism behind that? Is that why people don't care? Or is it because it's a screwball comedy that we're not supposed to care? I don't know. Like, why should this guy, like, feel somewhat sympathetic, right? He's sorry for what he did, but there's no... I don't know what other movie shooting a police officer... I mean, I guess... We just watched The Godfather. <laughs> yes, there <laughs> are a, times when it's okay. Kind to of shoot a different a moral officer. universe yes. than in this one. In the head, in an Italian restaurant, preferably. <laughs> um, but I, I, I agree with you. It's I, I was having a hard time with that this time around, listening to it because he's supposed to be a very sympathetic character. You're supposed to feel sorry for him, I think. But watching it more critically, I was like, okay. You have a guy, and what you know from the beginning is you know that he's killed a police officer, and you know that the police officer was black. You know mm-hmm. those two pieces. And um, you know that he was didn't have a criminal record of any kind, that he had been this, like, contributing member of society for however long, and he just lost his job and was down on his luck. So when Hildy goes to talk to him, I actually – it was funny because everything leading up to that is what a great reporter she is. So it's either that she's not a good reporter or if she's a good reporter, and this is just true of all reporters of that era – but she plants her story with him, basically. It's yes. very leading. Yes. It's incredibly th- leading. <laughs> as far as how the press is actually treated mm-hmm. during this entire film, it's, I mean, that's Seems just kind of in line with the rest of it. It's like, the these are all yeah. dishonest people, and that's what's funny about this, right? It's like, they just want the story, mm-hmm. even if they're making up the story, even if they're planting this idea in the guy's head in order to get him. Yeah. But that scene... That was actually one of the more visually interesting scenes of the whole movie was when Hildy goes to meet him and he's being held in this gigantic cage. Kind right? of very it's Hannibal Lecter. Yes. It reminded me of Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So it was very odd. It's just, it got very dark sort of in that moment. And the there lamb wasn't screaming, Charlie. Tons of hu- <laughs> yeah. There wasn't tons of humor in the way that she was planting no. that story. No, not either. at all. And it was interesting because you also get to bring in a little bit of communism in it, too. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. You know, he's out of work and he's wandering around. And, you know, do you listen to any of those? I don't remember. They say radicals, but they listen to those those people who talk. One of them, she's like, do you remember what any of them talked about? And he's like, well, I remember one, you know, talking about uh, production for use. And which is this, you know, very kind of communist idea right. that everything has a, a should have a purpose, you know, right. this idea. And she's like, and what's a gun for? And, you know, all of this and just kind of leads him to this idea that, oh, well, you know, it wasn't like it was my idea. This guy put this idea in my head and then out a gun and what's a gun's purpose? And so I had to use it. Yeah. That, that's, so that happened multiple times in the movie, which is one of the things I found fascinating about it was there's that scene, right? There's everything leading up to it. She bribes the guard to get in. That's kind of funny, right? That was adorable. I really liked that. That scene right there was kind of almost oppressive, and there there wasn't much humor in it. And then as soon as she leaves, 
like we're right back at it, right? Mm-hmm. We're just the the witty banter back and forth, just all the hijinks again. And then there's another scene later. So the woman who's in love with him is named Molly Malloy. Like right away when you're first introduced to her, you feel that she's in a mentally fragile state because she comes in and she's very upset and she wants to talk to them because she's already been drugged through the papers, you know, and we just saw they're all too willing to exaggerate you know, to create a story, yeah. to have this story. And so they paint this picture of this relationship that they have. And she's like, I've only known him, you know, a couple of days. Like, none of this is true. And she's very upset by it. And she's clearly very fragile, like, feeling very fragile about it. And they just push her around. Yeah, they don't take her seriously. And that scene is mirrored again later. But she comes back in and it's just Hildy and Earl and her. And they come in and they're giving Hildy the third degree. You know, what do you know? And we know you know something. And so Molly kind of nobly steps in and at first you think she's just going to be a distraction like i told you guys to listen to me and blah 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 and then it escalates really quickly <laughs> and now you want me to talk don't tell him anything molly let me alone i know what i'm doing out of this, why didn't you listen to me why come on you? cut that out you keep where your hands off where is he what do you want to know for so you can write some more lies so you can sell some more paper never mind dad all right all right i'll tell you what i'll do i'll give you a story i'll give you a wonderful story only this time it'll be true yeah, she that... jumps out the window, flying leap right out the window. And you're like, whoa, you didn't. OK. Yeah, these sort of really dark scenes break up the movie. It's all this fast paced stuff. And then she, uh, yeah, Earl gets visited in jail. And then there's the scene, the shots of the gallows being set up. Right. And the sounds in the background. And then here where she jumps out the window and doesn't die. Yes, right. which is worse. I almost have I to think. I would think it'd be worse. I wonder if that's another production code thing where maybe you can't show people committing suicide or something, or I don't because know. Because they, they, they show a shot out the window and they show like police clustered around a body on the sidewalk. Right. And somebody's like, oh, she's dead. And then somebody's like, no, she's not. She's moving. And then they run away from the window. And you're like, that's terrible. Like, yeah. She had to have, you know, like bashed her skull in. Like, this is not good. Yeah, I don't know. It was really dark, like you said. Very, very dark. And and even just the scene, I think it's worse hearing it than seeing it, the one we just listened to, because she really does sound very, very mentally fragile and very kind of tortured by them. Yes. It's kind of heartbreaking in the middle of this screwball comedy. Yep. <laughs> but I guess my question is, is it does it add to the humor of the movie in that all of the super dark stuff is happening and everyone's ignoring it? Is that humorous in and of itself or is it not? Like, what do you feel like? Oh, gosh, like, I don't that's, know. I think that's darkly humorous. Very, yeah, I mean, it's really dark. You're going like, very, very dark with your yeah. humor. But yeah, I guess kind of the juxtaposition of the silly things on top of some darker things and what the main characters are paying attention to. Right, yeah, they don't really, they, don't they really... care in that it's developing the story further for yeah. them to tell. But but I don't think at any point anybody's like, oh, poor Molly. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, nobody's, yeah. like, bummed out by it. Right. Yeah. It's just stuff that's happening around them. I mean, the screwball comedy stuff was great. Yeah. I thought it was the little winks, really well The little done. silly jokes. Yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. it a lot of it holds up pretty well. But still, yeah, I think this that sort of through line is was like kind of stuck with me after the movie was done. And mm-hmm. I don't know how much of that was intentional or how much of that was just as the service of this screwball comedy plot. Well, I mean, even thinking, like you said, a lot of um, kind of common threads among screwball comedies, like thinking of Philadelphia Story, you definitely have class warfare playing a role mm-hmm. and you definitely you have philandering. <laughs> 
Yeah. Extramarital affairs mm-hmm. playing a role. Um, you have uh, teetotaling and whatever, alcoholism and things mm-hmm. like that playing a role. And so those are all pretty dark storylines, too, that tend to be woven through. So maybe it is, like you were saying, it's, it is a comedy mechanism. It's just a rather dark comedy mechanism yeah. to have something <laughs> silly and a little bit more shallow and goofy happening on top of something far more serious. Yeah. I don't know. So if you go back to the scene at the beginning where Hildy tells Walter that she's now engaged, it's this very heavy banter, like very like the overlaid conversation. She tells him not only that she's getting engaged, but that the wedding is happening the next day. Besides, he forgets the office when he's with me. He doesn't treat me like an errand boy either, Walter. He treats me like a woman. It does, does he? Mm -hmm. How did I treat you? Like a water buffalo? I don't know from water buffaloes, but I do know about him. He's kind and he's sweet and he's considerate. Mm -hmm. He wants a home and children. Sounds more like a guy I ought to marry. What's his name? Uh, Baldwin, Bruce Baldwin. Baldwin, Baldwin, Baldwin. Oh, I knew a Baldwin once. A horse thief in Mississippi. Couldn't be the same fella, could it? (laughs) You're now talking about the man I'm marrying tomorrow. Tomorrow? As soon as that? Mm -hmm. As soon as that. He doesn't have that much time to undo it. Right. So they're falling back into their old rhythms of this witty banter. And then there are a couple of times where somebody says something that just gives them pause. And then there's just a little bit of a silence. Yeah. But if you go right after that, it just picks up again. So it's like slows down and then we're back. Right. Yeah. It's kind of a little bit of an emphasis. Well, so, just to uh, kind of show that they're each affected by each other still. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That there's still, yeah, something, I, I guess, an on again, yeah. off again, marriage, divorce Do relationship. You think- do you think he actually, the Walter character actually really loves the Hildy character, loves her? Or do you think he just likes having this person who's kind of his match? You know, the fact that she does know most of his tricks and she does kind of outwit him often, that he likes the back and forth, he likes the banter, and he likes just having that in his work life as well as his personal life, and so she'll do. Yes. I think <laughs> it's a lot of that. Yeah. Um, I think he loves her and his capacity to do so. Like, whatever that is, I'm not sure that there's anybody else out there for him. I think this is about as good of a shot as he's got with his sort of misanthropic, uh, sneaky, conniving ways. I yeah. think this it's either it's either this or nothing. The very end of the movie, they end up back together. Everything has gone wrong because Walter has wanted it to go wrong. He's undone everything. And so Bruce has been arrested three times. He is completely out of, you know, he's now lost his temper. He's going back to Albany on the nine o'clock train. He gets arrested again. You know, his mother's been kidnapped. It's this whole thing. And so everything's sideways. And so she finally um, kind of breaks down crying because he tells her to go try to catch him. And so it's at that point that she breaks down crying. And you think it's because he's ruined everything for her. At least I, as a woman, I hope it's because he's ruined everything for her. But no, it's nothing to do with that. She's crying because she's figured out that, um, or, you know, he's always called all the, caused all the, all the problems in her life. And that gives her relief because that means he still loves her. And she was worried that when he told her to go off to go find Bruce, that it was because he'd finally, you know, let her go. Right. <laughs> And that he didn't love her anymore. And you're like, oh, no, that's just a huge fail for womankind. Like, it's just... It's, <laughs> it's just humorous kinda, reversal. It's a I very humorous reverse, reversal, but it's just kind of like, oh, and you had me. Oh, well. <laughs> um, it's very sweet and, and, and cute and whatever for the, for the time being. Right, right. But what kind of bummed me out about it, beyond just the... You know, she she kind of loses her edge as this badass woman uh, of of the era. Is that uh, he's and then he says, "Oh, we're gonna get we're gonna get married again." So she's not just coming back; we're gonna get married again. And she's like, "Oh, 
really? You know, and he's like, and she goes, can we have a honeymoon this time? And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, two weeks, Niagara Falls, whatever you want, like, you've earned it. Duffy's like, oh, there's a strike. Where? In Albany. And she's like, fine, we can have our honeymoon in Albany. And then there's, like, another statement, like, about how that might not even happen. Right. Like, and so she's gained nothing. Right. Like, they're in the exact same situation they were before. She's gained acceptance. Has she? (laughs) Because I feel like it's fleeting. Yeah, no, just, like, this is what she's, like, she has to accept him for what he is, which is an awful person. And, yeah, I'm not saying that's a good message. I'm saying that's kind of where they're at. It's, I, I think... I think there's more divorces in the future and more marriages and divorces for decades <laughs> for decades and beyond back and forth. But it just, I don't know. It was one of those things where I was like, I was hoping that at least something would change because she is such a strong, I mean, it was this really amazing, strong character and she is such a good reporter and that right. she did have the respect of all these people. And so she is really good and everything. And so this one thing that she wanted beyond just being a good reporter, she wanted this like one sliver of a relationship uh, of some things being more important than the news. And it just isn't. But I suppose if you wanted to make the argument that she did the same thing to Bruce, she kept putting him on hold and on hold and on hold because she needed to tell the story. Don't you understand how important this is? You know, and I suppose (laughs) I suppose that's what Walter's doing to her. (laughs) So, Uh, there you go. There you have it. (laughs) That's the movie. That's the movie. movie Isn't it great, guys? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this is particularly rambly, which is almost justified given that the movie's rambly. But oh, yeah, it's like I'm. It's all over it the map. It was hard to keep up with, but it was... So I'd say, ultimately, it was definitely worthwhile. I think people should check it out. It's a good example of a screwball comedy, and it's got those other aspects, kind of darker aspects to it that... And it's made it a little bit more interesting, I guess, than I thought it would be. But, and... Cary Grant. Can't beat him. No, you really can't. You just can't. <laughs> He's amazing. I love Cary Grant. His life story, I think, is just, you know, kind of, he has the perfect, like, affected accent, and he's just so smooth, and he can do comedy and not lose sophistication. Right. Which not a lot of people can do, I think. So, all right, so you already said, uh, guest Charlie, that, uh, you know, that you feel like it's worthwhile that people should see it. So, um, kind of looking at this movie or these types of movies or anything like that, I mean, we obviously give recommendations every episode, but <laughs> in the context of this film, do you feel like there's... Does that, uh... does that mean I get two? I sure. think Adam would have a fit <laughs> if I got two of them. <laughs> you know what? Adam, you're overruled. Charlie, you can recommend <laughs> eight things. No, go ahead. No, 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 no. I only have one anyway. Uh, so I actually was having trouble thinking of something to recommend, but when I went down that rabbit hole... Finish the story about the production code basically just fell apart because nobody paid attention to it even after they implemented it. Oh, so really? it went up until the 1960s, but by that point, they just kept putting stuff out and people were circumventing it pretty yes, regularly. Yes, basically. So, a movie I just saw this weekend that I thought was really cool was called Blow Up. So, it's a movie from 1966. It's about a photographer who may or may not have accidentally taken a picture of a murder oh. that's just happened. But he's kind of, he used the word again, kind of a misanthrope. Like he doesn't really connect with people. He seems to connect with his art, which is photography. And I don't know, it's just shot beautifully. And there are certain scenes in it which are, at the time, definitely pretty risque. And this was one of the first films that got distributed in the United States without the, the without the certifi- certificate for the production code. They just said, screw it, we're not going to get it. And they distributed it anyway. Huh. So it's like, Taking the Jenga piece off of the bottom of the <laughs> already precarious pile. Got it. And they just kind of pushed forward. I mean, I, yeah. a lot of things in the 60s did that, I imagine. Right. You know, and there's there Supreme several Court movies. cases yeah. and stuff, I mm-hmm. think, related to it as well. But um, 
I watched the one. It's still really, really good. So I would I would recommend that. Awesome. Yeah. Jessica, what would you recommend? Well, see, mine's not gonna seem nearly as interesting or exciting now. No. Um <laughs> I, I we've we've already mentioned them, but I am a big fan of the screwball comedy genre, and so I would definitely recommend my favorite is Philadelphia Story. Uh, I mean, it's action-packed. It's, um, you know, star-studded, I guess is what yes. I was trying to say. Because you have Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant and um, Jimmy Stewart. And it's goofy. It's fast-paced. You deal with um, kind of class warfare uh, as as well as um, uh, like a strong sense of morality and whether or not true morality is as important as being a human being. You know, kind of yeah. pure, pure morality is as important as, as being a, a real human and being um, empathetic, um, being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And so that those are some really great themes. And then you throw in the amazing actors and you throw in the most ridiculous, uh, very much reminds me of our complaints about Ferris Bueller's Day Off and how you could not fit that many things in, in into a day. This movie predominantly takes place over the course of an evening and like overnight into the wee hours in the morning. That night is like, 20 hours long that is i I watched that movie probably a good 20 years ago and Mm -hmm. that's what i remember about it (laughs) how could you do how is this one evening this night just keeps going and going and going and i love the silliness of it it's so great there's a overnight scene where jimmy stewart's supposed to be drunk and he's interacting with Cary grant and it is so silly and ridiculous and funny and it just cracks me up every time even though i've seen it like seriously, probably like ten times. Like that movie, that scene always makes me laugh. And um, Catherine Hepburn is obviously she's just her, her delivery of lines and the interactions between her and Cary Grant was very believable because they did several of the screwball comedies, you know, bringing a baby, et cetera, et cetera. And um, yeah, their their chemistry was really great. Not so much in a, like a romantic way, but definitely in a matched equals kind of yeah. way. I yeah. feel like their their delivery back and forth, the cadence of it was spot on which is important i don't think we talked about that but for any of these screwball comedies is you need two leads that are like right on par with each other like if you have one person who's a little bit weaker yeah a little bit weaker a little bit stronger then it just doesn't work as well yeah you really need to feel kind of a a push back and forth and like a volleying yes that's a volley like a tennis match yeah (laughs) all right I guess that wraps it up. Is there anything else? I can't think of anything else. No, I just want to thank our very special guest. I know. Our Charlie guest Wallace. was amazing. And I mean, just magnanimous for coming on the show, really. I mean, yeah. make time and his busy schedule. I hope, I hope he gets you know, a chance to be on uh, another time. Well, you know, he hates podcasts, too. So he really had to, you know, like suck it up <laughs> to come on the air. I just, want, I just want to apologize to everyone out there for that bit. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best day I was able to come up with. <laughs> sorry, it's man. late. I'm we'll sorry. Do <laughs> hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. I hope you had a good time. I know we did. Be sure to tune in next time when we'll review another amazing classic, the 1967 The Graduate. And the next time you're on the internet, make sure you follow us on Instagram and check out our posts on Facebook. You will not be sorry. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the episode. Uh, Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everybody. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check in with us next time. Oh, my God. I know. I can't. You heard me do it like four times earlier. Mm. So it's just your turn. These are always the hardest. And there's just stupid little throwaway things, you know? Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the episode. 
make sure to tune in next time where make sure to tune in next time where there's another movie we're going to be watching that's going to be an amazing movie. All right, let me try. Let me try. Right. Let me try. Let me try. <laughs> hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you had a good time. I know we did with our special guest. Be sure to be sure to join us again. <laughs> Charlie. <laughs> okay. <clears throat>